Welcome to the Understanding Society podcast series. In today's podcast, Graham Law from the University of Leeds talks about new research using Understanding Society to examine the links between the makeup of households and how long and how well we sleep. I'm a member of a research group here at Leeds University. We have for a long time been looking at the 24-hour day. So, for example, one of my colleagues who's a clinician worked for a long time on genetics of your 24-hour day. So you have, a, you have a lot of genetic control of your body over the 24 hours. And that's led us into really wanting to get into the whole area of sleep research because of its importance to health. There is growing recognition of the importance of sleep. It seems a no-brainer, really. One-third of your day is spent asleep, so we shouldn't ignore one-third of our day at all. And how does Understanding Society help you with that? Understanding Society has been a fantastic resource because it's allowed us to look at these fairly standard questions in relation to your sleep quantity and sleep quality. And one of my master's students wanted to look at household composition, which as an entity in itself is fairly complex and can be something that is looked at in a fairly naive way. So she used fairly advanced statistical and mathematical methods to develop an approach to characterising households and then used that to look at sleep. So what was the thinking behind looking at both uh, the links between household composition, how a household is made up, and how long and how well we sleep? It's well understood now that sleeping longer doesn't mean you sleep better and nor vice versa. So anecdotally, I think a lot of us can put to time in our lives where things going on in the household, whether that's having children and babies or whether that's people who have a very active social life, they can affect your sleep in all sorts of different ways. So there's a clear reason for wanting to look at your sleep quantity and quality in relation to the household composition. And the reason to look at it is that actually your household composition is something we could maybe do something about. Of course, there's been this bedroom tax, which we all know about. So the number of people in the house compared to the number of rooms in the house you can demonstrate has an impact on someone's sleep so there's clear policy decisions that are made that can affect sleep and we know that sleep then affects health you mentioned that understanding society is a a fabulous resource for you in looking at these things so i'm particularly interested to find a bit more about how and, and and why you can look at the structure of the household in relation to the number of rooms the number of bedrooms, the number of people, the age of the people, and all the information that you might want to put into the structure of the household. But then, of course, we don't sleep at the level of the household. We sleep at the level of the individual. So you need to be able to access the information about the individual. So that's one of the real strengths of understanding society is that not only do you collect information about the household, but you also collect detailed information from people within the household. And When you look at research that's been done in the past, quite often a lot of health research really focuses on the individual but then ignores the next level up, which is your household, where you live. It has an enormous impact on your well-being and health. And so Understanding Society really looks at that in in some significant detail. And two of the most amazing things are, as an academic researcher, it's free for me to access, which is amazing. And secondly, the, the numbers are very high. This is observational research. It's not an experiment. And you need good sample to give 
credibility to your results. Okay, you mentioned that your, your master's student um, was looking at this whole thing of, of breaking down households into particular groups, and I was very interested by what those groups were. Can you talk us through those? Of course, it's really nice when you can measure something that you know exists. So, for example, you can take someone's body temperature and we can say that's their body temperature. However, there's a lot of things that we're fairly sure exist, but you can't measure directly. Household is another one of these things that we know exist, but it's difficult to measure. And, and this is called a latent variable. And a latent variable is one that we're fairly sure exists, but we can't measure it directly. And household structure, when we talk about people's houses, we quite often use shorthand to describe them. So there's this concept of a standard family living in a household. But of course, it's not straightforward how you measure a family. What do we mean by family? Is that two adults and two children? You know, there are all sorts of different ways of measuring these things. But there is a statistical approach to this, which my MSc student had adopted, which allowed us to create classes, as they're called. So in other words, groups of households that seemed most like each other. And she came up with seven of these groups. So, for example, there is a group called large family with overcrowding. And there is another group called single parent household. And there's another group called extended family with overcrowding. And these groups exist as entities that when you look at the data are most like each other. And so it's statistically valid approach to classify a household into one of these seven categories. So what were the key things that you found then? Households with children have lower number of hours of sleep compared to households that don't have children in them. And houses that were overcrowded, in other words, had too many people compared to the number of bedrooms, were more likely to have very bad sleep quality than the houses that didn't have overcrowding or had undercrowding, so fewer people compared to the number of bedrooms. And that's also similar to large households. So the larger your household in terms of the number of people living in it, you were more likely to have bad quality of sleep compared to households that didn't have a large number of people in them. You hinted earlier at the policy interest in this type of research uh, as far as things like welfare reform, uh, the recent bedroom tax, for example, uh, and also the the current uh, government's interest in levels of well-being. So I wonder where you think this research sits in, in respect of policy. If you actually look at this concept of a bedroom standard, and this is a government-backed initiative, work out the number of bedrooms that you need within a household. And there's an algorithm, an equation that you can use to calculate how many bedrooms you think a household should have. But we were able to show that actually, regardless of the bedroom standard, if you had more people compared to the number of bedrooms in a household, you still had worse sleep, even if you were actually adhering to this bedroom standard concept. And I think the bedroom standard is what's used for this bedroom tax. So if you had more bedrooms, then you're deemed to need, well, I think you had a reduction in your housing benefit. So from what we're showing, it isn't as straightforward as that. And, and actually, when you talk about the bedroom standard, the devil is in the detail. If you look at it, there's an expectation that people who are not in a relationship, but are between the age of 10 and 20, I think it is, are expected to share a bedroom if they're of the same sex. So, you know, if you told an 18-year-old girl that she had to share with her 12-year-old sister, for example, that would raise eyebrows. And I think this is what the bedroom standard is about. And there's clear evidence here that as a policy, we could say it impacts on sleep. So where does this research go from here? 
Understanding society in a way is just well, one of the earlier stages on the scientific route to improving health. We've seen that poor sleep leads to poor health. So what we're interested in doing is how can you improve sleep in all sorts of different people? Actually, one of my particular areas of interest is in pregnancy. There's some very strong research that shows that your control of glucose, which is the main energy resource for the baby, your sleep impacts quite dramatically on how you manage your glucose. And a big developing area of disease and poor health is what's called gestational diabetes. So that's, but during pregnancy, you're particularly prone to developing this, this form. We're looking at how can we improve sleep because it will have an impact on the development and the control of diabetes during pregnancy, which has a real impact on the newborn child. It makes babies grow too big which can be a problem for just delivery in itself, but then also can lead to further health problems for the infant. The importance of household composition in epidemiological analyses of sleep, evidenced from the Understanding Society Longitudinal Panel Survey, is researched by Helen Fowler, George Ellison, Eleanor Scott and Graham Law, and it's published in the Open Journal of Epidemiology.